0: What do you teach on a Reformation Sunday and an Ordination Sunday? What a glorious Lord's Day. Not that we need anything else for a Lord's Day. But as I mentioned, it's beautiful to think of effects of Jesus' resurrection power among us and in his world. And the story that Jesus has been walking with me through this week is the one we're gonna read today in Mark 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And just thinking through, what's Jesus' kingdom about? And how does King Jesus involve us in his kingdom? Let's read God's word together. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, "'Come away by yourselves to a desolate place "'and rest a while.'" For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot with all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. And this wonderful word endures forever. Thanks be to God. Verse 30 Jesus' disciples returned from a short-term mission trip. He sent them out two by two to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. It's their pastoral internship. It's their officer field training. So they returned to Jesus, excited to report all that God had empowered them to do and to teach, and of note, this is the only time in Mark that Jesus calls the disciples apostles, sent ones, sent ones, They cut their teeth well, so they get the title. An apostle is an authorized agent, a representative, commissioned by someone. To deal with the apostle is to deal with the one who commissions them. So they come back and they're excited. At the same time, they are worn out and spent. It's exhausting being an agent of the king, extending the kingdom. So they need refreshment. And Jesus recognizes that, which is very heartening. And he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place a while. In effect, let's go spend time together, apart, apart from the strain of ministry. We need it. And so they get in a boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee and notice the emphasis, to a desolate place. This means an uninhabited place. Ideal for a retreat. However, the problem is people see them and they recognize them. They pass the word through the villages. Everyone runs around the Sea of Galilee and is there when they arrive. Clearly the apostles' ministry has just blown up interest in what Jesus is doing. So this uninhabited place quickly is transformed into an over-inhabited place. It's worse than ever, it's teeming with people, it's the exact opposite of what they were hoping for. Thousands of needy people, 5,000 men, plus women and children. What's Jesus' kingdom about? How does he involve us? Three points, the emotion of the kingdom, the instruction of the kingdom, the provision of the kingdom, the emotion of the kingdom. How do you respond? when your plans get totally derailed, when you hope for rest, but you just get more work? How do you respond in that scenario? Notice that verse 34 focuses on Jesus's attitude, not the disciples' attitude. It's safe to say their attitude wasn't quite where Jesus's attitude was. Thankfully, he's different from us. When Jesus We see Jesus's heart, Jesus's emotion, and we see what drives his kingdom in our world. Jesus goes ashore, he sees the crowd, and he is immediately filled with compassion. It's that word, my favorite, splenchnizomai, from splanknon intestines, guts. Jesus's heart hurts, his internal organs turn inside out as he looks at these people. Deeply moved with compassion for them. It's not that momentary empathy you and I feel when we encounter sickness or pain. We feel something, but we quickly move on. We want to move on. We want to screen it out. Dane Ortland has this to say about fallen man. He says, fallen emotions not only sinfully overreact, they also sinfully underreact. That we just can't take it in. We don't feel the way we should before need and suffering. Jesus is not like that, being a perfect man, perfect human being in our midst. He's not wound up with self-centeredness. He can feel what's going on around him. Pity and mercy arise and flow from the core of his being. It's what's most instinctive of him when he sees us. Whatever the struggle it is, and he feels this way because a crowd is like sheep without a shepherd sheep without a shepherd is a worrisome picture. They're uniquely inept and incapable of taking care of themselves. It's the livestock that requires the most attention. They can't fight, they can't take flight. They follow each other into hazards, they get lost, they get paralyzed with fear, they can't even find food. It so well describes this crowd, it so well describes you and me. And so they're aching for help and hope Those that should be their shepherds aren't, but really they can't be what they need. And so they've seen in Jesus and his apostles who represent him, they see someone who can defend them, someone who can rescue them, find them, make peace with them, feed them, satisfy them, help them. The Reformation too begins with an anxious people, a people hungering for assurance of salvation. The Reformation comes not because Europe was irreligious, but because Europe was religious. They were looking, looking for help and hope. It's a revival movement. So when Luther nails those 95 theses on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, October the 31st, 1517, it really shouldn't have raised such a stir. It wasn't his intent. He wrote them in Latin for the scholars. It was an acceptable way for scholars to debate points. That's what he wanted. And Wittenberg wasn't an important place. It was a backwater. It was a no, no man's place. Yet these 95 theses quickly got translated into German, circulated throughout Germany and sparked a revival, but why did that take place? It means there was a people whom God had prepared that were searching, they were hungry, they were hungry for God's word, people who didn't get to read the Bible. It was in Latin, it was considered a closed book only for the trained. And it wasn't even part of the seminary curriculum for theology students. You read commentaries on scripture, but not the Bible itself. So the people were hungry for the word, hungry for a clear presentation of the gospel. And so Jesus, with a heart of compassion, looked at these sheep without a shepherd, and he teaches them. And he teaches them many things. What must he have taught them? And he teaches them all day long. Women and children and men in the middle of nowhere, all day long, hanging on his words, hungry. It illustrates Jesus's truth at his own testing. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He feeds a famished crowd the word. The crowd wants a full meal. Compassion drives him to feed the word. Well, how about Jesus's instruction here? So Jesus' instruction of the kingdom, the disciples get uncomfortable. They've been out there all day in a desolate place. The hour's growing late. It's getting time for the evening meal. And they feel personally responsible for these people. In part, the people are there because of their ministry and the success of it. So they approach Jesus and say, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages buy themselves something to eat and their words to Jesus seem reasonable and they show some concern but really their strategy is short-sighted and really it's selfish really they want to get back to their retreat and to make the crowd someone else's problem in essence they're saying look let them take care of themselves or let someone else worry about them We've done enough. But you see, there's no way all these people could find sufficient food in that area. The largest villages, and there weren't many of them were two or 3,000 people. This crowd is 10, 15, 20,000 people. It would overwhelm any place they went to. So Jesus looks at his apostles and says, "These stunning words: You give them something to eat." You just gotta love it. You gotta love Jesus here. I mean, just imagine how it hit them. Uh, their jaws must have hit the floor, hit the hit the ground. They were in a cartoon. It's like, what are you talking about? You feed twenty thousand people. I mean, you must be crazy. And I can't read this without remembering with with a degree of embarrassment when I was a counselor at Alpine Camp for Boys in 1987. It was my first cabin and one of my first nights as a counselor. And I had these little boys, these little ones. And all of a sudden about 2 a.m. I hear this noise. And I look up and one of these little boys is standing in the middle of the room with this mess all around him. He's just thrown up. I'm sitting here and look at this boy bleary out at 2 a.m. And my instinctive disgust was matched by an automatic reaction. And that automatic reaction is I literally, literally looked over my shoulder to the door of my cabin thinking that surely someone was about to enter this cabin and clean up this mess because surely I wasn't supposed to do it. That wasn't my job description. My mama always did that. I didn't have to do that. And I look at this event and I see these apostles who just want to cut themselves loose from this mess. And Jesus won't let them off the hook. He looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. As one commentator says, once the disciples have seen the need of the crowd, then Jesus lays upon them the task of meeting the need. Don't be looking over your shoulder, Jesus says. Own this. And now, of course, the issue here is not that they're disgusted. That's not the issue. The issue here is that Jesus just asked them to do something totally impossible and they are overwhelmed by it. They, don't, they know they don't have the resources to do it. They don't have what it takes to feed this crowd. So already tired and already disappointed, their rest and retreat hijacked. Now Jesus puts this on them and they get a little ticked off at Jesus. And they say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? And just imagine the complex of emotions. Do you ever react similarly? And things like that happen, maybe to Jesus. And so a denarii was the average daily wage for a laborer. They make a quick calculation, they survey the scene, they tally it up, and they say, this would take eight months to a year of a guy's working wage to f- feed all these people. But the issue is they don't have the money, and there's no not enough bread around to buy it. So really, they're just venting their frustration at Jesus's commands. Yet, before this, Jesus doesn't budge. like He doesn't flinch. He doesn't back up. And I think he's really holding back a smile here. John helps us out when John says he's testing them. Really, what's happened is he's orchestrated the whole scenario. He wants them here. He wants them right here in a place where they don't have what it takes to do it. What if you reframed your perplexities that way? When God has you in a place, you can see your way clearer. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's pushing them to own their responsibility as his apostles. He's pushing them to stare square in the face their inability and lack of resources. He's pushing them to grow in faith He's pushing them to see that what's impossible for them is very possible with him. He's pushing them really to view this as an invitation. It's in effect him saying, ask me, seek, knock. Didn't you just experience my power in your mission trip? Put it into effect here too, ask, seek, knock. I'm ready to exert my power in your midst. These are just crucial lessons for us every day. I mean, we're all apostles with a lowercase a. We didn't see the resurrection. We're not the official apostle. We're all sent ones. We're emissaries of the kingdom. Remember what we're saying on Wednesday night, Paul David Tripp's line, when God calls you to himself, he also calls you to be a servant, an instrument in his redeeming hands beautiful line in one sense it's saying the pressure is not on you you're not the redeemer but in another sense he's saying you know what you get to be an instrument in my hands in the lives of others so we should expect therefore that he's going to put us in scenarios to develop within us his own heart splank needs my And he's going to push us to own our responsibility, realize our inability, trust in his strength and ask him for help with the impossible. If you find yourself there, he's put you there. He's not going to let us offload the physical needs around us and especially the spiritual needs around us, both in our body and in the world. He aims to use us to bring help and hope of his kingdom into this messy, fallen world. He looks at all of us and he says, you give them something to eat and ask me. Today, we're ordaining and installing new officers. What all members of Christ are responsible for is raised to an even higher level for those Jesus entrusts to lead us. They lead us and set the pace in this. Mark Deaver says, churches rarely grow past the maturity of their leaders. If we see deficiencies in our community, things that need to grow and improve, Jesus looks at us and says, you feed them. We can't look over our shoulders for someone else to appear to clean up the mess of our fallen world. Jesus has given us the opportunity to be instruments in the Redeemer's hands. You deacons are charged with setting the pace and caring for the physical needs in our body and in the world that segment of the world God entrusts to us. You elders are charged with caring especially for the spiritual needs in our body first and in the world. And it's a daunting task, an overwhelming task. And sometimes we just wanna cut the crowd loose. Jesus says, own it, then ask me to do it. He says, the pressure's not on you, you're not Jesus, but you get to be an instrument in Jesus's hands. Well, finally, Jesus's provision, the provision of his kingdom. And so we see that Jesus, in doing that, in confronting his apostles that way, he's actually conferring a privilege upon them. He's inviting them to a front row seat in what he's about to do. And they get to have a part in it. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see, and to their credit, they go and see. They don't have no faith, they just have little faith. And Jesus can work with little faith. All they can find as they go through the crowd looking for supplies is five measly loaves and two small fish. This little boy shares his lunch. And children, that's beautiful. That God does huge things through very small things. A little boy shares his lunch. And what does Jesus do with it? It kind of looks at like the cross of Christ itself. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. But it's really the lesson also for the disciples. Jesus asked them to put their very limited resources at his disposal. And what they have is just comical before the need. And that's really all Jesus wants for any of us. So we find a similar truth in that Jesus then gets the disciples to help the crowds get organized. And so they had the crowds sit down. And what he's doing there is he wants to put their little faith into action. It's not just enough to have it, they gotta act upon it. He wants them to risk, to get skin in the game. They'll look silly if Jesus doesn't miraculously feed the people. And so God is showing that he uses our limited resources and our little faith to exert his kingdom power. It's true for all of us in a special way today. We're thinking of our new officers. You don't have all the gifts. Jesus doesn't expect you to have all the gifts. You may even struggle to believe that God's gonna use you in given scenarios. But you see, God has crafted you the way he wants you each of us and if he's crafted you in the way he wants you and you put who you are in Christ at his disposal you ought to expect that he's going to use you specifically the way he's made you to be and also that he's going to do far beyond what you could ask or expect even as we see in this passage The Reformation beautifully illustrates that, this little man who's so aware how small and insignificant he is, and yet a sweeping revival takes place through his pastoral ministry. It's wonderfully illustrated in our passage today. What Jesus does here made such an impact upon his disciples that this event is the only miracle passage that's repeated in all four gospels save the ultimate miracle which is the resurrection of christ from the dead and i think as i imagine what's going on here they all include it for a number of reasons but i think of peter when jesus reinstates him and jesus looks at him after his resurrection and says feed my sheep and peter is looking at himself and looking at his fellow disciples and saying like all your sheep like even those that you said aren't of your sheepfold, us with who we are, that? And then they all look at each other and says, "Oh, wait a second, don't you remember? He took five loaves of bread and two little bitty fish, and he made a feast for 20,000 people. We can do this. The details in this passage are just beautiful. We see Jesus' kingdom in action mark writes and he's alone includes this detail but behind mark is peter peter's the preacher and he gives us an eyewitness detail he says jesus has them sit down in the green grass the green grass but you see our esv doesn't translate it right it then says they sit down in the green grass but the words there are jesus makes the crowd lie down in the green grass And you have people that were sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, anxious. And now the good shepherd is here, and the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And that's what Jesus is doing, and that's what his kingdom is about. And they lie down in green pastures, and it's literally, they have a banquet. They recline at banqueting tables. And they're satisfied. Jesus is the shepherd king, the greater David, the good shepherd gathering his, fe- his people. He's also the new Moses, leading us on a new exodus. Ezekiel 34 says, in the wilderness, when the shepherd appears, the dry places are going to become a fertile land with rainfall and gardens And Jesus is doing that here, showing the renewal of the kingdom of God in a broken, dry, arid world. And the disciples then organize the people in orderly bands like Moses with Israel in the wilderness. But these aren't just groups. The first word means he organizes them into festive parties. (laughs) And the other word says he organizes them as garden plots. Maybe if you love a garden and you have your colorful vegetables. And so you look at these people now in rows, organized, and they have their colorful clothes with the green grass and the blue sky. And he says, that's just like a little garden. These people were running wild, being helpless and harassed. And now the good shepherd arrives. He orders them around himself. They lie down in green pastures. He makes a banquet for them. They become a joyous, harmonious group in a vibrant, fruitful group. And God is renewing the people and renewing the world. That's the kingdom of God. And we catch glimpses of it now in the body of believers. And Jesus takes these loaves and fish and and blesses them and breaks them and gives them to the disciples to distribute them. And they all eat and they're satisfied to such a degree they have 12 baskets left over. And it says, they are satisfied. And the kingdom of God is about true satisfaction. Psalm 23 My cup runneth over. And the heart of all this is the cross of Christ. The king is here for his cross and nothing short of the cross does this, and it's intimated here. You see, the grass grows green in springtime, and springtime is Passover time, and so Peter's looking at this, and as he looks at this account, and he styles this account, what's filling his mind is a certain meal that Jesus had with his disciples, his last supper. When Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, And he said, this is my body given for you. And then he took and blessed and gave the wine and said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He's saying, the heart of my kingdom work is to take your sin on myself, to take your punishment at that cross. I'm not looking over my shoulder. I'm here to do that. I, I see your mess and I'm here to clean it up. I know what it's gonna cost me. And I'm gonna obey in your place. And I'm gonna take all of your impurity and pollution and corruption and sin and the consequences of it, I'm gonna take it to myself. It becomes mine. And I'm gonna shoulder it and pay the price for your sin before the holy judgment of God. And when I do that, it's gonna be enough. And the gates of hell are gonna open up and I'm gonna resurrect from the dead with new life. If you think I've just done a miracle of new creation by multiplying loaves and fish and renewing a people and making the desert a garden, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm opening up the new heavens and the new earth and you're a part of it. And one day you can reply at a banqueting table as the guest of honor in the feast of all feasts, the wedding supper of the lamb, and you're the bride. And that's why I've come, to get my bride. And I'll do whatever it takes to get her. And I'll take it upon myself to do so. And officers, all of us, but officers, you get to be an under shepherd of such a shepherd because we're showing people Jesus. So John says, the focal point of the whole thing is that the meal really presents Jesus to us. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. I'm here, eat of me. I'm sufficient to satisfy you. And so what an honor to use our little resources, our little faith for this. And We get to put people in touch with Jesus who's about making all things new and we get glimmers of that even now in the local body of believers new elders and new deacons need to be a part of this a front row seat at what Jesus is doing we get to help desperate people become a joyous harmonious group and a vibrant fruitful group as we feed them the word of the gospel as we help them with their physical social emotional needs in the compassion of Christ and in all that we see Jesus the king extending his kingdom and moving us forward to that day when he renews all things and that's what our lives are about that's what his church is about. And that's what King Jesus is about. And he, gets to, and he uses us in the process. Amen. Let's stand.